This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. This is the Takeout. Happy Election Week. We had a successful election on Tuesday. Some results still pending, as you well know. For audience members in California, Arizona, Nevada, they are still counting. There are very close races there. But I will just say this. America, the process worked. Millions of Americans cast ballots. Hundreds of thousands of Americans worked as poll workers. Election administrators did their task as they're supposed to under sometimes threat, heavy scrutiny, a lot of dark energy. But this election, in every sense of the word, was an American success story. Not a political success story. Yes, there are winners and losers, but an American success story. And for everyone who is involved at the level of election administration and poll working and poll observing, I thank you. I want to talk to our special guest, who is the governor of North Carolina, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. Governor, thanks for indulging me that brief editorial at the top, but I've written a book called The Big Truth, which talks about election administration, how we do it in this country. It's a really important issue to me. Thanks for letting me do that editorial. It's great to have you on the show. So I'm so glad you did, because just the other day I was talking to some poll workers. They have been under tremendous stress, abuse. Uh, It it is extraordinary what has happened since Trump was elected and how ferocious people can be. We've had a number of people leave uh, the election process. But, you know, everyday Americans are stepping up. I talked to a friend of mine who just retired from a well-paying job who decided I'm going to go to work for the Chatham County Board of Elections to make sure that these elections run smoothly. She called me the other day, said, you know, this is this is hard work, but the people who are doing this are amazing. So thank you for thanking them 
because our democracy could not survive without people who are willing to step up and do those jobs. And Governor, indulge me five or ten more other seconds. I want to thank those Democrats and Republicans, some of whom on the Republican side raised questions or were flat-out deniers, but who saw the election results and conceded and conceded in public. Concession is not an act of weakness. Concession is an act of strength and faith in our country. And the whole process of democratic policy disputes and wrangling depends on the peaceful transference of authority. And that comes with a key intervening moment, a moment of recognizing you tried your best and you lost and you concede publicly. To those who did that, I want to thank them. So, Governor, give me your assessment. You were watching things very closely. I'm sure you were not up for re-election, but there were competitive races in North Carolina. Give me your 360 interpretation of the midterm results as we know them. Well, sure. I think overall, it defied expectations, and particularly for Democratic governors across the country. I'm chair of the Democratic Governors Association this year. I took that on because I know that governors are often the last line of defense in protecting our rights and freedoms, but they're also the the first chance at progress. So I wanted to make sure that my Democratic colleagues across the country and our candidates had the best support that they could get. And it turned out that it was the best midterm for a president's party when it comes to governor's races since 1986. And I, you know, I believe it was because that Democratic governors uh, let the people tell them what, what mattered to them, not, not the other way around. We understood that voters were not one-dimensional. Uh, we understood that with this horrible U.S. Supreme Court decision that ripped away uh, women's reproductive freedom that had been in place for five decades, that now the state capitals and the state legislatures were really going to be determining a constitutional right. Now, your zip code should not affect your constitutional rights, but that is where we are now. So the importance of governors was so important, but we also knew that governors were doing things to lower costs to families, like cutting food taxes and giving them auto insurance rebates. And I think the governors, the, the people rewarded Democratic governors across this country and, and they got the job done. And we know the history of a midterm and a president's party and how awful that can be. And I think overall, we defied history here. Well, two Republican governors did you a favor in that regard in Massachusetts and in Maryland by not running again, Larry Hogan and Charlie Baker. And Democrats won both of those seats. Those were sort of assumed to be victories. Wes Moore is a historic figure, first African-American governor in the history of Maryland. Um, And what other governor's races did you have your eye on and would you circle on the map as important of what you just described or indicative of what you just described? Well, first, let me uh, give a nod to Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, and Charlie Baker, the governor of Massachusetts, two Republican governors with whom I worked very well. Uh, governors had to go through a lot over the last four years. We, we had a pandemic and then we had to deal with a president and President Trump who vacillated between indifference and obstruction. Governors had to step up. 
we then saw global inflation that we had to deal with. We saw the attack on the Capitol, the attack on democracy. We saw the court stripping away fundamental rights for reproductive freedom. So governors had a lot to do. And we spent time talking with each other, meeting with each other and planning. And Governor Hogan was was very strong. He was leading the, the governors, the National Governors Association, both parties, through that effort and stood up to the White House when, when he needed to. And of course, he's term limited. And I'm so happy Westmore is elected. What a strong candidate, combat veteran, businessman, Rhodes Scholar. He's going to be a super governor. But then you got Charlie Baker, who was not term limited in Massachusetts. He never said this to me, but I'm speculating that he thought that with today's Trump-owned Republican Party, that he couldn't get the nomination uh, for, for, for governor. Now, maybe he could have. I don't know. But that's what I think. And so now we have the tremendous historic election of Maura Healey, mm -hmm. who's former attorney general. I was attorney general of North Carolina. We served together. I know she's going to be a fantastic governor. But when you look at governors that really matter, let's look at the big swing states that we know it's critical to protect the democracy. The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Tom Wolf, term limited. Josh Shapiro is the perfect candidate and will be an outstanding governor and will stand up to those shenanigans and will help protect democracy and women's reproductive freedom in the Commonwealth. Michigan and Wisconsin, a, a Democrat hasn't been elected governor while a Democratic president was in office for decades in either one of those states. And both of them, their competence, their willingness to listen to the people uh, were shining through. And, and I think that governor, that the people of Michigan and Wisconsin saw them as leaders who cared about their kitchen table issues, their costs, but also were going to step up to protect democracy and, and reproductive freedom. Look at Kansas with Laura Kelly, a very red state. She gets reelected because she believes in common sense government. Uh, we are waiting for results in Arizona, clearly an important state. It's one that we would flip if Katie Hobbs is able to hang on in this election. Uh, so we know that there were many important governor's races across the country. In fact, 36 of them, we had 13 incumbents to defend. Uh, right now, uh, even if you don't even count the, if, even if we lost the two remaining races, which I don't think we will, but even if we did, Democratic governors now represent more than 54% of the American people. That's a good thing. So we're going to have to take a break right now, Governor Roy Cooper. When we come back from the break, I want to talk to you about some other governors that also got attention. And I also want to talk to you about Democratic success that might have caught some people by surprise at the state legislative level. But we're going to talk about Ron DeSantis and Governor Greg Abbott, big winners in Texas and Florida, respectively. When we come back, I'm Major Garrett, New York, no, not New York, North Carolina Democratic Governor Roy Cooper is our special guest back in just one second. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? 
Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects. But there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. North Carolina Democratic Governor Roy Cooper is our special guest, head of the Democratic Governors Association. So Ron DeSantis won big. He won early in Florida. He also won Miami-Dade County. That is suggesting to people like me, Governor, that Florida and its 30 electoral votes in the 2024 election may be out of the reach of Democrats, whomever the Democratic Party nominee is. Do you think that's true? No, I don't think it's true. It's very disappointing to see his brand of politics get affirmation in Florida. But I do believe that uh, in the right year with the right candidates, that Florida can still be in play for, for Democrats. We certainly do not want to write it off. And uh, Greg Abbott won cruise to reelection in Texas over someone who is very well known in Democratic circles, a true blue fundraiser nationwide, Beto O'Rourke. What are your takeaways from that result? You know, I, I, again, disappointing. We knew, though, that with this environment that we were going to face with the history of uh, the president's party's first midterm uh, with the, the, the Biden favorability numbers, with inflation and people paying more at the gas pump in the grocery store and people's natural tendency to blame the person at the top and that person's party, that this was going to be a, a year for headwinds for, uh, for Democratic candidates. And one of the hardest things to do in politics is to defeat an incumbent governor. Uh, governors do so much work that affect people's everyday lives. And even, even if you're not such a good governor, it's still hard to root one out. And this just was not the time for Democrats to succeed in Texas and Florida. But they are still on Democratic maps. We have to go in and, and look at ways that we can improve the processes there. I don't, I don't profess to be an expert on how we do that. But I know that both of those states are too important to our country. Too many people live there. We've got to keep working to, to, to make sure that we can make some inroads in both of those states. When you hear Governor DeSantis, as he said in his election victory speech, Florida is where woke comes to die. What do you think he's driving at? And do you think that is a structural problem Democrats need to address there or anywhere else? Well, it, it's divisive extreme politics playing on people's fears. Uh, Republicans have always been masterful at being able to do that, playing on people's fears. And what we have to do is take those issues head on. Uh, education, the classroom is not a place for culture wars. We need to teach 
science and history and math and reading, and we don't need to put our children in the middle of that. I think we can take that on, and we have successfully taken that on in many states across the country. In North Carolina, they introduced a don't say gay bill modeled after what they had done in Florida. I was able to veto it. Our Democrats in the state legislature were able to sustain that veto. People care more about their children getting quality education and learning to read and that they're safe at school than those issues. And I I think overall, we Democrats can continue to focus on those things. That's what matters. So on this program last week, I played my interview uh, recorded October 29th in Santa Fe, New Mexico with Governor Gavin Newsom, someone I believe you're pretty well familiar with. And he said to me, I asked him, do you think a red wave is coming? He said it certainly feels that way. Again, that was October 29th. He said he felt the headwinds nationally had been traveling around because his reelection bid was very safe in California. He was nervous about House races in California. Turns out that worry for Democrats is well-founded. There are many close House races that may determine, actually, majority control of that body. But he also said something in more dramatic ways that you just hinted at. He said, and I quote, Democrats are getting crushed on narrative, and they get crushed over and over and over by what he described, again, a direct quote, ruthless Republican Party that defines issues in ways that Democrats, he said, find themselves continually on defense. And he said, my party has to understand what it's up against, number one, these are his words, not mine, and number two, how to counter this narrative that he said crushes Democrats more often than not. Do you agree? Democrats are very good at getting things done. We're not always good at how we talk about them. And why is that? Well, you know, I I think we are busy getting things done. You know, I when you look at and and President Biden would tell you this himself. When you look at what has been done in Washington in the last 18 months compared to the history of Congress and what's happened, stunning amount of investments that are going to be made in the American people. In, in lowering childcare costs and connecting people to high-speed internet and fixing roads and bridges and moving us into the clean energy future and uh, capping the cost of prescription drugs for seniors and capping insulin costs and just issue after issue that matter to everyday people, working hard on it, fighting with each other on how to do it. <laughs> There's a good fair, a a fair lot amount of, of that for time. sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and that's what you guys, and I understand that's where the, the conflict is. You guys focus on intra-party squabbles about how we're going to get things done. Republicans, Gary, Major, don't have a plan. They don't, they don't have a plan. Their whole reason for being is to criticize, attack, gain power, And essentially what they do is to try to reduce services for people and to give tax breaks to the very wealthiest among us and the corporations. And that's pretty much it. I know that's an oversimplification, but that is what they do. Uh, They try to win and to take power and they don't have a good plan. I think Democratic governors this time did a much better job of communicating to people what they were doing to affect the, the issues that matter. And it was multidimensional. 
we, we heard a lot of pundits as, you know, these swing stakes came up, the polls would swing one way or the other, and everybody was looking at it, and everybody had an answer as to what issue was motivating people, and this is what was swinging the polls one way or the other. The fact of the matter remained that Democratic governors remained steady in what they were doing and what they were messaging as well, affecting the cost to families, which they cared about, but also reminding people that, hey, democracy is on the, on the brink, and we, we, we know that people's abortion rights are going to get swept away if we don't elect Democratic governors. The combination of those issues uh, won the day for Democratic governors. I'm not sure that polls necessarily were able to capture what motivated voters. We think it was a combination of things. So yes, we need to keep working on the way we talk about things. Yes, we have to stand up to the rhetoric and the attacks that Republicans put upon us, but we can never take our eye off the ball of getting things done, making things happen, working for the least among us, and not spend so much time worrying about just the message, oftentimes results speak for themselves. We like to think that. We know that that's not necessarily the case. So we do need to get better. So we got about a minute, Governor, before we go to our next break. So this conversation will clearly carry on into our third segment. But I want to start it off. President Biden, should he run for reelection? Well, I expect him to. I had a conversation with him just a couple of days ago. I support him. He's been a fantastic president. I told him that I will try to win North Carolina. And if he needs to make that decision, but if he makes the decision, yes, I'm for him 100%. What effect do these midterms have on that calculus within the Democratic Party writ large? You know, it's hard to say. I, I think the results that were achieved in Washington uh, helped what happened uh, out in across America. It happened. It, it helped in what happened with these races. I do believe that people are deeply concerned about another Trump being president uh, or someone Trump like, and that possibility is very, very real. We know the president has a track record of being able to stop Trump in his tracks. He'll have a track record of four years of success. These next two years, obviously, are going to be a lot tougher. Let me stop you right there, Governor. We need to run to a break. I will continue this conversation on the other side of that. I'm Major Garrett. That is North Carolina Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. Back for more of The Takeout in just one second. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. 
<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. We had to go to a break, but I want to let the governor continue. Roy Cooper, Democratic governor of North Carolina, continue your thoughts about not only where President Biden finds himself. I'll tell you, in Washington, in the last 36 hours, the feeling among Democrats I've talked to is the president is in a better position than he would be had there been a 240-seat House Republican majority or the prospect of one and maybe a 52 or 53 Senate Republican majority that these results muddled though they are mean he has a fighting chance and is viewed with a bit more confidence by Democrats at least here in the nation's capital than they were viewing him even on Saturday or Sunday of this past weekend well and I think that's absolutely true but I felt the same way even as we went into this election and before we even knew the results and the reason I felt that way is because of the extraordinary success that we saw uh, through Congress and what this administration was being able to bring to bear. And one thing I've known about Joe Biden for a long time, you can never, ever count him out. You can never count him out. He always finds a way to, to, to get where he wants to go. And I think if he decides that, and it, and it seems to me that he's going to decide that he's, he wants to run, then uh, I'm going to work hard to win North Carolina for him and he can once again help to save the country if Trump is the nominee on the Republican side, for sure. And, and, he, and even if he's not. Give me your sense of what happened in the Senate race in North Carolina. There is a conversation, which I know you are aware of, Governor, that the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee did not invest enough in North Carolina. And if it had, the result might have been different. Well, it, it, it didn't. I, I will say this as chair of the Democratic Governors Association. I understand how tough decisions have to be made mm -hmm. and that you, you have your, your organizations seek to protect incumbents first. And obviously there were a lot of incumbents that were on the line here. So that being said, yes, if there had been a greater investment here, Sherry Beasley, whom I appointed as chief justice of our state Supreme Court, uh, she's an extraordinary candidate and it's too bad. Uh, that she lost. I will tell you this, a lot of good things happened in North Carolina, uh, aside from her loss. Number one, we now have a seven to seven congressional delegation, which is pretty extraordinary. And you would think in a 50-50 state, well, that's what it should be. We've been dealing with Republican redistricting that's technologically diabolical, and I'll put our Republican legislature against any Republican legislature in the country as to how awful uh, districts can be. I'll just give you an example. Back when we had 13, they drew districts uh, in a way that came out 10 to 3 uh, Republican, and someone asked the chair who had drawn the maps, mm -hmm. how in the world could you have in a 50-50 state uh, 10 Republicans and three Democrats going to Congress. And he said, because we couldn't figure out a way to make it 11 to two. He said that in public 
and it was part of the evidence in the case that was decided on partisan gerrymandering. But now our state Supreme Court ruled that their districts were too partisan and had, they had to redraw them. Now we have, we, so we picked up two members of Congress in, in this battle for control of the House. So that is a positive thing. And by a very narrow margin, we were able to keep the number of Democrats that I need in our state legislature to sustain my veto, which is really important, particularly did that with, just by a hair. But you did it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's important because we've become an access point for abortion in the southeastern United States. And so that was important. It's, it's going to be a harder fight to uphold my vetoes because we have a very narrow margin. But we hope the people can help put a spotlight on the North Carolina legislature to try to make sure that we protect voting rights, that we protect women's reproductive freedom. So good things happened in North Carolina in a tough atmosphere. And I think things are looking up in our state for 2024, 2026 as, as we go forward. So, Governor, you know, one of the conversations in Democratic circles for the last four or five years has been what is happening in state legislatures? And it appears in this midterm cycle, there was a bit of a bounce back because there was some more tactical investment. There was more recruitment. There was more eyes on state legislative races. And I'd like your assessment of Wisconsin in that regard, Michigan and any other state that you think highlights a trend worth paying attention to on that front. Well, to step back a minute, uh, and if we're going to criticize the Democratic Party, like my friend Governor Newsom uh, did, uh, we have for decades not paid enough attention to state governors, state races, and state legislative races. Republicans for decades have paid attention to it and have gained a control in a lot of states where they shouldn't. I think Democrats have been waking up to that, particularly when President Trump came along, the Supreme Court started ripping rights away. We now have more issues that are being decided on the state level. So this time, I think Democrats paid significantly more attention to state governors and what's happening in state legislatures. In mine, uh, I had to raise millions of dollars to help our candidates keep that number that we needed because the courts haven't helped us much on our state legislative races and they're, they're terribly gerrymandered. But I, I am excited about things that have happened across the country, along with electing Democratic governors that are positive. And I hope we Democrats learn that this is where we need to maintain investment and attention because of that, that U.S. Supreme Court is going to be there for quite a while. We don't know what's coming down the road regarding personal rights and freedoms that may be decided at the state level. Who the governor is, who the state legislature is in those states is going to matter a lot to everyday people. So I know the audience doesn't like to hear this, Governor, but you know it's true. I know it's true. The 2024 presidential campaign began starting Wednesday morning of this week. The president in his press conference at the White House said that he will be enjoying watching Ron DeSantis and former President Trump go at one another. Will you and what do you think will become of that conflict should it actually be for the Republican presidential nomination? I've I've given up trying to predict what happens in the Republican Party. Uh, You know, I work closely with Republicans in North Carolina. I think people expect us to try and work together 
on solutions. And I continue to do that. But since President Trump got elected, it's unfortunate that a majority of the Republican Party has pretty much told us that they prefer an autocracy as long as their guy is in charge. And President Trump, uh, the candidates he supported had a bad night. No question about it. The issue is whether that's going to transfer to a bad thing for for Trump, because he's already saying that it was a very successful night. And he's saying that those who lost didn't didn't deny the election in 2020 enough. So he's already started his spin on it as he already does, as he always does. As to whether Governor DeSantis will give him a run uh, in the primary, I don't know. I fully expect Trump to run. I think uh, it's hard for me to predict Republican politics, but uh, Governor DeSantis has a uphill fight because I, you know, it's going to be hard to strip away those people because not enough Republicans have had the courage to stand up to him. They they just haven't, and we'll as see. You, we'll see if that changes. As you know, Governor. In 2016 to 2020, Trump carried North Carolina. He would be the odds-on favorite to carry in 2024, would he not? No, he will not. He will not. Um, if, one thing I know is is that I ran. I ran for governor in mm-hmm. 2016 and 2020, and I won at the same time that Trump won North Carolina. I know the people here. I do not believe that North Carolina will make that mistake again. I've always considered North Carolina to be the fullback of the Democratic National Democratic football team in that Republicans have to win North Carolina in order to gain the presidency. Democrats don't necessarily have to win North Carolina in order to become president. So what happens is, is that the Republicans pour a ton of money and spend a ton of time in North Carolina. There was a Trump here almost every other day In both of those elections, they had to spend a lot of time here during the process. That's resources and time that's taken away from Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and all of these other states that we can win. I just want us being the fullback, maybe that we can get the ball one time and actually score the touchdown like we did for President Obama in 2008. Using football metaphors and politics, always a successful strategy. That is the voice of Roy Cooper, Democratic governor of North Carolina. When we come back in our last segment, we're going to get in the weeds on something that is really important. And I'm going to give you this hint, Moore versus Harper. We're going to talk about that in segment four. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for segment four of The Takeout in just one second. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. You know, in this audience are people who know that I love to nerd out on things that matter, that catch some headlines, but maybe not as many headlines as they should. Moore versus Harper. And don't listen to me on this. Listen to Michael J. Ludig, one of the most revered and respected conservative legal thinkers in our country, has said, what the Supreme Court does in this upcoming case will be among the most fundamental decisions made in the history of American jurisprudence as it regards interpreting the Constitution. Before he was governor of North Carolina, my guest, Roy Cooper, was the attorney general there. I'm pretty sure he's well-versed on this topic. Governor, explain to my audience the importance of Moore versus Harper. So this is a scary undercurrent that hasn't gotten a lot of attention But as the hearing date approaches in the U.S. Supreme Court, we're going to be talking about it more. What happened is that our state Supreme Court, as I mentioned earlier, ruled that the Republican congressional districts were unconstitutional because they were excessively partisan. Uh, That led to a seven to seven result uh, this time, which is the kind of thing that you that that should happen. But that was a decision under our Constitution. The state legislature, the Republicans in the legislature, have sued, claiming that federal law has left the decision on how to run federal elections and how to draw congressional districts solely to the state legislature. They're taking a very narrow reading of that. It's always been assumed that it's the state, not necessarily the state legislature. That means if the governor has a veto, the governor can veto it. It means that the state court, if it finds it's a violation of the state constitution, the state court uh, can do something about it as they did here. What they are saying is that we solely should be able to run federal elections in our state. That's leaving the fox to guard the hen house and could be catastrophic for this country if the court makes that decision. Now, you would say you would hope that it wouldn't because we had a similar case. Like I said, our our legislature is the worst on drawing congressional districts. So we'd already been in the Supreme Court and and said there should be a a federal uh, ruling that you can't have districts that are overly partisan. The Supreme Court backed away and Chief Justice Roberts said that That should be the states who decide that, not the federal government. It's too hard for us to decide whether it's partisan. Now a state court has done that. You would hope that he would come back in and say we agree with that. But with this Supreme Court, they may leave the power on running federal elections to just state legislatures. And And the Republican legislatures will run with that in in a way that is, is scary. And, Governor, let me play that out, and I'm not predicting this. I don't know what the court's going to do, and I don't know what the implications of its ruling would be, but there are some who fear if this independent state legislator theory is sanctified constitutionally by the Supreme Court, that could even impact electoral vote certification. No doubt. No doubt. It could. Explain to my audience why that, how that could be. Well, so this is the Trump game plan. 
the Trump game plan was to ignore the popular vote of swing states and have those Republican legislatures in those states decide who the presidential electors would be. If this Supreme Court would want to go down this road and read this as narrowly as Republicans want them to read it, then the legislature could pass a law to say, we get to decide who our presidential electors are, or they could be more crafty than that, but Mm -hmm. eventually they could be the ultimate decision makers. We could be guided by the public or whatever they would want to say. Right. And and they could actually ignore the will of the people. That's the danger there. They also could have control on how federal elections are conducted. So you might even have different rules for state elections and local elections and federal elections if they run this out. We don't know that they will. We've filed amicus briefs. We're working really hard to fight uh, this case and hope the decision is favorable, but it is a really dangerous one that, as you say, a bipartisan group of legal scholars have looked at this and said, this could be a rabbit hole that this country does not want to go down. So uh, my audience consists of independents, Democrats, Republicans, and to the Republicans in my audience, I was going to offer you a practical assessment of this midterm election as it regards this question. Because right now, we don't know who's going to control the House of Representatives. But we know that Republicans are going to gain some seats in New York. And we know they've already gained four seats in Florida. Let me explain in a non-esoteric way how that happened. The state legislature in Florida offered a map drawing of congressional districts to Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. He rejected it. He drew his own lines. So not a state legislature, a governor. And then he went before the court and said, ratify that. And the court did eradicating African-American districts in Florida and creating four net Republican districts. That happened outside the state legislature. So even if you think this is a theory is a great idea, that's not how it worked in Florida. Right. In New York, the Democratic Party drew the lines and the state Supreme state Court got involved and said, no, those are too partisan and gerrymandering. Redrew the lines and Republicans are gaining in New York. So as Republicans think about this, just at a practical level, your gains so far achieved in two states had nothing to do with strategists, speechwriters, or candidates. It had to do with the way the lines were drawn. And in both cases, your gains resulted not from legislatures. Governor, take that ball and run with it. Well, I, I think the answer is that independent redistricting commissions have shown to be the best way to do this. Because what is happening in these states is that Uh, politicians are choosing their constituents instead of the other way around. And there are numerous diabolical ways to do this. And both parties have engaged in this Mm -hmm. over the years. You know, there's been a lot of bipartisan work to get independent redistricting commissions in place in states across the country. And we have some that are extremely successful you know, this decision we're talking about could potentially affect that. So the the way lines are drawn, clearly problematic. No one knows better than those of us in North Carolina who've had to deal with it. I'm dealing with it right now 
with the with the state legislature that is right on the razor's edge of a supermajority. So we've got to find a better way to do this. And there is a better way. We just got to try to pull people together to get that done. Last question. Trump, Biden, who wins? Biden. Absolutely. Landslide? Bigger than bigger than 2020? Uh, you know, because, you know, he he will get significantly more overall votes because it but it's going to come down to these individual swing states and and how they work. We've laid a lot of wonderful groundwork in those swing states to protect the democratic system to make sure that voting is as fair as possible. Democratic governors are going to be ensuring that in those swing states. One of the reasons why I'm continuing to cross my fingers about Arizona's results with, with Katie Hobbs over Kerry Lake. We don't know how that's going to turn out, right. but, but yes, I believe that he, he's going to win this thing. And, and who, who, I don't even know what a landslide any, is anymore, but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure we have those anymore in, in our country. Less and less and less. That's the voice yeah. of democratic governor Roy Cooper of North Carolina. That concludes our takeout for our radio audience. For those on GBS news streaming and on our podcast platform, stay tuned for the takeout outtake especially. we'll see you next week. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. We have Democratic North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. Governor, real quick, uh, the midterm elections showed that governors like Gavin Newsom in California, like Ron DeSantis in Florida, who had diametrically different and rhetorically different approaches to COVID, both cruised to re-election. Was there a referendum in this midterm on COVID adaptations or steps governors took? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think the vast majority of the people in this country believe that steps were taken in order to save lives and, and millions of lives were saved to, to, to take those steps and I'm glad that we did. And, and I also democratic governors across this country uh, worked really hard to get us back into shape with the economy and work with businesses and got the job done. We have three threshold questions we ask everyone on this. I'd love to get your answers to it. So your most influential book in your life, all-time favorite movie, and if you're driving around North Carolina and it's a long drive and you're going to listen to some good music, what music, artist, or genre is that going to be? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, well, prob probably uh, To Kill a Mockingbird book and movie. And for music, you know... I, I, I'm a new wave rock and roll guy. That's where I was when I was in college. The cars, uh, music like that's pretty good. 
I didn't have you down as a new wave rock uh, aficionado, Governor. That's a nice surprise. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to see me dance. I can guarantee <laughs> you that. <laughs> and very quickly, because it's been said before on the show, several people have mentioned To Kill a Mockingbird, both book and movie. Why for you? Well, you know, I think it shows that we have to cont- continually deal with racism, systemic racism that is still in this country today. And all of us, all of us must come together, recognize it and take steps to deal with it. It's why I've appointed a task force on racial equity and criminal justice, uh, why we are taking steps to make sure that law enforcement are trained and working to gain trust in community. And this has to happen across our economy. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased that companies are continuing to recognize more and more that diversity increases the bottom line, that we are better, that our results are better when we are diverse. And I think we need to do everything in our power to combat racism in all forms. It also strikes me, Governor, it is a book and a movie about two vital aspects of humanity, compassion and courage. No doubt. Governor Roy Cooper, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hanging out with us at The Takeout. We'll see you on the road. Thanks a lot, Major. Enjoyed it. Thank you. We'll see you next week, everybody. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.